Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Welcome, everyone. It is Monday, June the 13th, 2022. It is currently 4.33 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, I intended at first to say good afternoon, everyone, but there's nothing good about this afternoon. In fact, if you look at all of the live broadcasting today, there hasn't been anything good at all about this entire day because we've had to talk about some very unpleasant things, not the things that I wanted to talk about, not the things that I would prefer to talk about, but sometimes, well, things happen that, well, they just, they kind of move to the front of the line and they demand our attention and they demand that we stop what we're doing and we try to look at it from a biblical perspective. It's, it's not been pleasant. It's not be, not, it hasn't been any fun. And I'm just going to warn you right now, this isn't going to be any fun. What we're about to try to complete right here, what we're about to finish right here is going to be extremely unpleasant. It's probably going to make me upset, probably going to make you upset. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you'll end up being upset at me. Maybe you won't be upset with what I'm reporting on. You may be upset at me and, and that, that possibly can happen. So put it, put it this way. No matter what, by the time this is over, no one's going to be happy. Everyone's going to be upset. And that's never a fun place to be in as a podcaster, right? You, what you want to do is when you're done, you're going to get some emails going, thank you so very much. That was encouraging. That was convicting. Think I, I did get an email uh, the other day from someone who listened to the thing we talked about, about the armor of self. I said that we're going to listen to it a second time because it was extremely convicting. That's the kind of email you want to receive. This is, there's not going to be any positive emails coming in because this is just a horrible, horrible, ugly story that to me demonstrates again that we have a serious issue within the body of Christ. I'm not saying every Christian, I'm not saying every church, but this is there's a problem within Christianity, and I think the problem is, is we have so adopted the spirit of the age. The world right now is filled with so much anger and hate and division. It's just, it's just cold. It's just unloving. There, it, it seems to be no compassion, no mercy. The world is just really messed up, and there's a lot of that that's crept into the church because the church has been hijacked by a political ideology and, far, and they've so abandoned historical biblical Christianity. There are things going on in Christianity right now that you just like, I, I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want any connection with that. Now, that is what I'm going to refer to as the, ex, the external presentation of Christianity. Obviously, I don't want to be, I don't want to no longer be associated with Christ. I want to be associated with Christ. I don't want to be associated with this thing that we call Christianity sometimes, at least here in the United States of America. But here's what we're talking about today. And it's, it's not, it's not pleasant. It's not nice, but here's what we're talking about. Okay. I, this, my day started by receiving, um, I, 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 I saw this in a number of places. I think the first place I saw it was on the, the Theology Central Discord channel. Then I, I, my daughter sent it to me and other people started sending it to me. Here is the headline. Oh boy, this was published on June the 9th. And, and we, we've, I'm just going to get us all caught up so that we can continue this. All right. So if you just tuned in, make sure you understand that this is part two of what we started earlier, but this, we, we, we got to the point that, 
Well, things are about to go from bad to worse. You'll see. Here we go. I'm going to get you all caught up. Jesus, continue to listen, and you can go back and listen to part one, but I'm going to get you caught up. Here we go. On June the 9th at 1245 p.m., NBC News reported that a Texas pastor, and I'm broadcasting to you live from West Texas, a a Texas pastor says gay people should be shot in the back of the head in a shocking sermon. Now, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding. This this can't keep happening because this kind of sermon has been preached too many times in too many locations. It creates all kinds of just outrage. And then, of course, everyone moves on to the next outrage. But I'm like, really, is this going to happen again? And it's a church in Texas. And what, what is happening to Christianity? What is going on? So I saw the story and I knew that I could do this. I knew that I could just grab the story, read the story, offer some comments, and then move on. But every other podcaster is going to do that. Every other preacher is going to do that. I'm like, no, we're going to do things differently here in the Theology Central podcast. Instead of just taking what everyone is saying about the sermon, we're going to review every word of the sermon. So no one can accuse us of taking anything out of context that we can look at it word for word and be fair, honest, and offer a biblical critique based on the entire sermon. So in part one, we listened to about, well, uh, close to 40 minutes, probably not quite 40 minutes because the first part of the audio clip, and uh, if you find the NBC story, there's a link to the church's website where you can, as as of earlier today, the sermon was still there. I grabbed the sermon immediately because I'm afraid it'll be deleted at some point, and I want this to be clearly discussed. Now, this is what I'm choosing not to do. I'm not giving the name of the church or the name of the pastor because I don't want to give them any more fame, or that's one of the reasons I didn't even want to talk about it, right? But it's everywhere, so I have to. I'm like, talking about it, this is some church and some pastor I never even heard of. Now, all of a sudden, he's known all the way around the world. Not for, not, well, you can, we can draw our own conclusions before this is said and done, but clearly not in a good way. Um, and I don't want to add to that because I just think that this is so outrageous. This is so wrong. This is so just against biblical Christianity. But again, I want to be fair and offer a fair critique. And the only way to do that is let him speak for himself. So we're reviewing the entire sermon. Now, so far in the sermon, it's basically gone this. They did some singing, and they uh, sang Onward Christian Soldiers. They read, I think, Acts 4 and 5. It may have been Acts chapter 3 and 4. Maybe They read like two chapters while they were taking the offering. Then uh, the, the, prayer, uh, the prayer went something like this, that the person speaking would be filled with the Spirit of God. All right, so supposedly they believe that this is a Spirit-filled preaching, right? Well, we could get into a whole discussion about that. And what immediately kind of caught me off guard is the the preaching was is very calm so far. I thought it was going to be filled with yelling and ranting. At times, he's dealt with the scriptures at least halfway okay. He did some very, some really mishandling of the book of Jude. Very unfortunate. I, I And the only reason I, I so kind of immediately grabbed on to that is because if you look at our, we've, we've been working on the book of Jude since March. And um, I have really, really been 
trying my best to get the point across that you have to handle, to handle the book of Jude correctly, you need a correct outline and you can't group certain concepts together. And I, I feel that preachers all over the place mishandle the book of Jude. So we've been working and working and working and working on it. So when he started kind of really doing some weird things with the book of Jude, I called that out. But again, still pretty calm and pretty like, Fine. It appears that there's a context here that I don't think is being reported in some news articles. It appears that on this particular day, I think it was June the 5th when this sermon was preached, their AM service, it appears that there were protesters in the parking lot of the church. That I, I, I just think that that's important to note for context. And it appears the church, at least according, it is claimed by the person preaching, that the church had received death threats, that people had claimed they were going to bring a gun and kill everyone, that they were going to kill the pastor. And I'm just going to report what the pastor reported in the sermon, that raped the pastor's family, just some absolutely horrific things. So supposedly that is the context of what's going on. And that is important because when these things are happening, when people are making threats to you and people are, are, are protesting and causing problems, we all know that... The flesh can rise up. And sometimes we respond to people's hatred and people's attack in a very fleshly way. I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. My flesh rises. When I when people say things to me in email or when people say things about me online and when people say things to me uh, maybe on YouTube, I can get mad and I can get sarcastic. And sometimes I'm not responding in a way that demonstrates the fruit of the spirit that shows Matthew 5, 44 of loving my enemy, praying for them that would despitefully use me and persecute me. I don't demonstrate turning the other cheek. I demonstrate attack, attack, destroy, 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 destroy. Sometimes when people do things to me and make threats or evil or whatever, I see them as an opponent to be destroyed. I see them as an opponent to be defeated instead of as people created in the image of God that I want to be to see them redeemed and see them saved. I, I So I'm speaking that I, I definitely understand how certain situations can produce a very unbiblical response. I am not in any way excusing what is supposedly said in this sermon. I'm just providing the fuller context because in many news uh, articles that wasn't reported, but it's right there in the sermon. I cannot verify if they, now according to him, they have the voicemails of these threats. So hopefully they do. Hopefully they play the voicemails so that it can be clearly demonstrated that this was the context of what happens. It still would not justify saying that these people should be shot in the back of their heads and that being preached in a sermon. We're still getting or waiting to get to that part of the sermon. If that is an accurate report and we're about to hear it, not only is it disturbing and horrifying, what even makes it worse? As, As we've been listening to the sermon, you can hear their small children in the sanctuary. And that troubles me deeply, deeply. And, and and a time where there's so much gun violence, and you're going to talk about that people should be lined up and shot in the back of the head because of their sin? <laughs> but, but I guess nobody in that church should be lined up and shot for their sin, right? It's always shoot and kill someone else for their sin, but my sin deserves grace and mercy. Their sin deserves judgment and killing. It's really weird how Christians think and sometimes about this. It's just so sad, but the whole thing is is horrible. So we've been reviewing and that kind of where we are. Now, we left the sermon 
where he had just uttered a word that we were like, wait, he just said that? So I'm going to back it up to around the 39-minute mark. Again, there's no easy way to jump into this. We all have to kind of just walk up to the edge of the pool and jump back in. There's no smooth transition. We're just going to jump back in and we're going to, we've got the last part of this sermon, which is really what the news is talking about. We're there, but we've played the first part. So we have a broader context. And I think that was important. But before we do anything else, I'm going to read two passages of scripture that I did last time in the previous uh, um, podcast episode, because I think this is important. I'm going to go to Galatians chapter five, verse 22. Galatians 5.22. I was having some problems reading it in the first episode because my voice, my voice is still trying to recover from uh, from Sunday. I would, man, I was having some major problems with my voice on Sunday. So if I'm swallowing more, it's because my, my voice hurts. So my throat hurts. My voice hurts. My throat hurts. So um, hopefully we won't have any uh, issues there. But uh, Galatians 5.22. Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm reading it from a different translation. I read it from the King James in the, uh, in the previous one because that's what I typically use. But I just want you to hear it even from a different translation. I want you to think about the fruit of the Spirit because the beginning of this sermon is, hey, pray that the Spirit of God basically will be in the person speaking. It, what you're about to hear, is this the fruit of the Spirit? Is it love, joy, peace? kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, or is it hate, hatefulness and, and just everything opposite to the fruit of the Spirit? And then I want to remind us, very important passage of Scripture. We know this one. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to, to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Is this sermon going to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit? Is it going to demonstrate the love that we are supposed to have? Now, yes, the Bible does call, uh, call us to condemn and rebuke. It does call for that. But in that rebuke, in the condemnation, in pronouncing the, the judgment that comes from the word of God, there still has to be love there connected in it in some way, shape, or form, or we lose our balance. Either, either people don't want any kind of judgment and just focuses on the love, or people just focus on the judgment and the condemning and forget the love. We have to bring the two worlds together, or we do not pres- provide a biblical outlook on very important subjects. All right. So, and I, I've, and I stated in the last one, I want to make it very clear. There's been plenty of times in my Christian life where I did not demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. I demonstrated that which was contrary to it, different situations. So, 
I, I, I know that as Christians, because of our sinful nature, it can show up. You can determine what you think is happening here. Are you ready? This is the sermon. It's all over the news. We're reviewing it in its fuller context. Let's jump back in. Again, he's, he's, he, he's, the, the, the sermon is why we won't shut up. And he's given four, he's giving us four reasons why we should not shut up. The reason number one is because we should fear God and, uh, over man. And, and that's a biblical concept. We should fear God over man. All right. So therefore we should not shut up. But we, when we, we shouldn't shut up, but we should ensure that our speaking is biblical and godly and not, I don't know, fleshly, worldly, and political. It should be biblical, theological, and demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. We should not be allowing corrupt communication to come out of our mouth, but to use that which is building, building people up, which is edifying, which is glorifying to God. And what we should see is people who we may disagree with, people who may be committing sins that we think are horrible, we should see that they're still human beings creating the image of God who have an eternal soul. And what we should desire above all is not their destruction, but their salvation. Right? Now let's see what we are about to hear. Here we go. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Oh, well, that's how God felt about it in the Old Testament. Now God loves homosexuals. Now God, he died on the cross so that you could be with strange flesh. Jesus died on the cross so that you could be a pedophile and God still loves you. Wrong! The Bible says that when God destroyed that city, that is an example today. Uh, It's not my problem if you don't believe the Bible. Why don't you just tell us all the other things in the Bible you don't believe? Okay, now here he's starting to get a little upset. You're starting to hear now a little bit of of anger coming through. Um, And I just want to say this. Look, there's got to be, we have to make sure we at least place this in some kind of context here, right? And I understand there is debate in theological circles about how do we understand for God so loved the world. Now, for God so loved the world doesn't necessarily, now we can distinguish a general love with an electing love. We can distinguish a, a general love versus a, 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 a different kind of love for those who he redeems. Now, some would not have an electing love and a general love. They would throw that concept out. But I think we have to at least acknowledge there is common grace and there is love that is offered to all people. We don't ever want to say, hey, because of your sin, no love. No love for you, just wrath. You commit homosexuality, no love for you, you deserve wrath. No, you stay out of the church. You don't, you don't come, you don't listen to the gospel. Now, I, I, I hope that's not what he's saying, but that's how it starts coming across. That no, 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 no love for them. What, wait, wait, what? You don't offer them the love of God and, and his son, Jesus Christ, who came to die for sinners? Are you saying no, you don't offer that in any way, shape, or form? Well, if we're going to stop offering it to homosexuals, if we're going to stop offering it to pedophiles, we should stop stop offering it to adulterers and to fornicators and to men who look at pornography or to men who see a woman in lust and to women who are unsubmissive and and we can, and men who don't love their wives as Christ loves the church. We, we can just start adding all kinds of other sins, but no, 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 no. Those sins are different. Those sins are different. Because, you know, I guess those sins can, are, that people can be redeemed from, but I, I guess you can't be, yeah. This, this is where things start getting a little like, what is happening here? Where, where are you going here? Where, where, where exactly are you taking this, right? And clearly from the news, we know where this is going to end up is going to be 
very shocking, but let, let, let him get us there. What a joke. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers. Oh, I don't like it when you call them filthy. You don't like God when he called them filthy then. Now, he's quoting from Jude, but what he's doing is he's clearly, uh, his handling of Jude is just so, I don't want to continue to harp on this, but it bothers me so much because I've spent so many hours on working on Jude. Please listen to our series on Jude and you'll see what I'm talking about. Just so that you understand that in Jude, the purpose of Jude is to get the people to contend for the faith because some men have crept into the church unawares who are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and they've denied God and denied the Lord Jesus Christ, right? They've come into the church. So Jude writes to them to, to try to get them, to motivate them, to exhort them, to beg with them, to plead with them, to contend for the faith. The purpose is to get those who are spiritually secure to contend for the faith because he identified the people he's writing to in the book of Jude as preserved, called, and sanctified. They're already eternally secure. This is not written to warn them, don't follow the false teachers or you'll be destroyed. No, he's he's like, I'm going to write to you to, to motivate you to contend for the faith. And how does he do this? Starting in verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance. Starting in verse 5, all the way to at least verse 17, there are specific verses where there are specific reminders of things that happened in the past. Every reminder is an example of judgment. To me, what this indicates is, hey, I'm going to remind you of these situations where people were judged to motivate you to contend with these men who crept into the church because they're going to be judged. They're going to be destroyed. And you don't want them to be destroyed. You don't want them to be judged. Contend with them that they may be saved. And if you think that I'm just making up this concept, if you go to the uh, to the, uh, closer to the end of Jude, you'll see this. And of some having compassion, making a difference. This is Jude verse 22. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I'm trying to motivate you to contend for them so that they won't face the judgment. So here's some reminders. He reminds them of Israel being destroyed in the wilderness after they left Egypt. He reminds them of the angels who kept not their first estate and were placed into chains. Then he reminds them of Sodom and Gomorrah and how it was destroyed with vengeance and fire. Now, those are the reminders. Then in verse 8, Likewise, also these, likewise, also these is not referring back to the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's referring to the people who have crept into the church unawares. So you have two things going on in Jude. Reminders where it looks to the past, descriptors of those in the present who've crept into the church. The reminder is to look back to motivate action in the present the descriptors are for them in the present to be able to identify those they are to contend with. He reads many of the descriptions as not descriptors of those who have crept into the church unawares, but he takes the descriptors and reads it back into describing the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, making the whole book about Sodom and Gomorrah. It is a bizarre mishandling of the text that just violates basic reading and hermeneutical rules, and it's it's extremely frustrating. I don't want to harp on it too much, but it just really, 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 really bothers me um, and how Jude gets handled. And I and I don't apologize for being bothered by it because it's the word of God that has to be rightly divided. So you can go listen to all of my, uh, 
Look, I've, I've, I've gone through the Jude and outlined it so many times. On Sunday, I had to do it again because I still felt people still don't get it. But I, 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 I'm standing by my way of handling the book. His handling it. This is always the problem. He's not really preaching Jude. He's just trying to use Jude because he wants to say bad things about homosexuals. That's really why he's doing Hey, where can I find some mean words that I can apply? To? Oh, I'll go to Jude and find some mean words that I can, I can call homosexuals. That's what it feels like. It's not an, an actual desire to expound Jude or to exegete it. He just wants to call homosexuals some bad things. And well, this is what he's getting ready to do by using terminology in Jude that's not even focused on the men of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's really focused on the people who have crept into the church. What's wrong with you? Why are you afraid of man? Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally, notice this, as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. You know what brute means? It means stupid. The Bible says that these sodomites are dumb, stupid animals. Now, a couple of things. First, he skips over the Michael the Archangel idea because Jude reminds the people he's trying to get to contend for the faith how Michael contended with Satan. And he says he did not offer up a railing accusation. Well, then you don't turn around and offer up a railing accusation. Then he next takes the next part, which once again is describing the men who've come into the church, not the sodomites, the people who've crept into the church unaware, who's turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And he's reading it back as a description of those in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's completely demonstrating a complete lack of, of handling the text correctly. That is bothersome. Look, if you're going to yell and scream and condemn homosexuals, well, maybe you should at least handle the word of God. I don't know. Halfway correct? Maybe? All right, let's go. Continue. Brute beast. I didn't come up with that. That's what the word of God said right in front of your face, that they are brute beasts. They're stupid animals. Elsewhere in the Bible says that they're made to be taken and destroyed not to be loved, not to be brought into the house of God. All the righteous kings in the Old Testament, when the Sodomites were even... Okay, so, hey, they're not to be loved. They're not to be loved. So, so homosexuals deserve no love, no love. They just are to be destroyed. Then he goes back to the Old Testament, once again, looking at things that occurred under either a theocracy or a monarchy or kind of a theocracy-run monarchy. But in every situation, he wants to go back to that system. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus doesn't call for a theocracy or a monarchy. He says, no, the church's job is to preach the gospel, calling all people to repentance and faith, that we are to love our enemies. We are to demonstrate love and compassion. We are to have mercy on those because God has had mercy on us. The theocracy, the monarchy, all of the Old Testament structures 
they all fail because guess what? You All of the external rules and laws that you impose upon an unregenerate person doesn't change the unregenerate nature. The gospel is what we give people not just external laws. And so he wants to, he wants to, and even if you wanted a theocracy, even if you wanted a theocracy, that's great when your form of theocracy is in power. But what happens when your form of theocracy loses power? If you are an independent fundamental Baptist, then you're probably just going to be killing off everyone because you're going to call them heretics, and then you're going to say heresy is punishable by death. So you're going to be trying to kill everyone. But when you're no longer in power, then say Catholics are in power, then they're killing all the Protestants. And then when the Muslims take over, they're killing everyone else. Theocracies always end in everyone dying. I don't understand that. How are you going to work that? And just rem- and also remember in the Old Testament, the theocracy, well, you had God, well, at first in Israel, literally dwelling in the midst of them, communicating directly with them. That form of communication is not occurring anymore. He communicates us to, to his word. So how would you even impose a theocracy? You'd really, really be imposing almost a monarchy or some kind of a, a theocratic rule where you are claiming that you speak for God and then you're going to start having people. It's just, it, it, it just drives me crazy that Christians don't understand how broken this whole concept of this way of thinking is. And that's why in the New Testament, you don't have any of this. Hey, we need to take over the government. We need to impose this law. No, we need to preach the gospel to people. We need to show them God's law, demonstrating that they've broken God's law, and then present the gospel so that they can be saved and received a righteousness by faith, an imputed righteousness, which will then have them stand before God holy and righteous. It's not about imposing law upon unregenerate people. It's about preaching to unregenerate people so they can be brought into the church and then they can be taught to obey that which God has commanded. But this is don't love them, destroy them, and then runs to the Old Testament to try to justify it. It's just, it's bad theology, bad hermeneutics, bad everything. And, and also, if you're going to start, start wanting people dead, go to the Old Testament and look for everything people were supposed to be killed for. Everything. And impose all of those. Just start killing people left and right. If that, It's just weird. Christians want so many people to die. It's like, I thought Christians wanted people redeemed. But no, he wants people dead. He doesn't want them to be shown love. He wants them to be destroyed. Well, then let's just start destroying everyone the Old Testament calls to be killed. Even close to the house of God, the Bible says that they did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and they broke down the houses of the Sodomites. That's what God said was right. But a lot of preachers won't tell you that today. You know, King Asa wouldn't be allowed in a lot of these churches because he's too hateful. Because he did what was right. People would love to shut him up today. Go back to Acts chapter number 5. Acts chapter number 5. But when Christian preachers don't preach against the Sodomites, especially in the month of June as our nation completely celebrates this abomination, you know what they're saying? I'm more afraid of a dumb animal than of God. That's what they're saying. And what a shame that a pastor, that a Christian, would be more afraid of a stupid dog than of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a shame that is. Acts chapter number five. Now the context here, Peter and John, once again, were thrown in jail for preaching the word of God, for healing someone. You know, it's the same old story. But the angel of the Lord broke them out of jail. Now look at verse number 25. It says, then came one of them saying, behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple 
and teaching the people. You know, they're reporting them to YouTube. They're reporting them to Facebook. They're calling the FBI. They're calling the IRS. They're saying, they're preaching again. What's going on? They're freaking out, right? Calling your landlord, calling your real estate agent, everything. They're upset. Verse 26, then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, by the way, notice the only reason that these people didn't commit violence against Peter and John was because they feared the people. And you want to know why these sodomites aren't murdering us and shooting us today is because in America, they're still afraid of the police a little bit. But let me tell you, in the Great Tribulation, it's not going to be like that. They won't be afraid anymore to commit the violence that they want to commit. Verse 27. I mean, when we went to that city council meeting, these faggots were literally threatening the mayor to his face in public. They're saying like, hey, He called them a very derogatory term. Some may argue, well, they use it amongst themselves, but aren't we better than that? Aren't we supposed to be better than them, right? Aren't we supposed to, to, to rise above that? Why would we use such a derogatory t- uh, Why would we use such a derogatory word? Why would we use such inflammatory speech? For what purpose? Is it glorifying to God? Is it exalting? Is it building anyone up? Referring to them by that word, I'm not going to say the word. What are you hoping to accomplish other than to incite evil, to incite anger? What do you, to provoke? You're simply provoking. Why would you use that word other than, than obviously he uses it in such a, it's just common. He just threw it out there. Just, just almost like it was natural. Like, like, there's no big deal. Why would you do that? And from the pulpit, while supposedly preaching the word of God. And, and, and you can't understand why more and more people are leaving the church and more and more people are just done, done, just, just, they're done with the corporate church. They're done. Like, that's Christianity. I don't want no part of it. I don't want no part of it. Where a man stands behind the pulpit and refers to other people in a very, very, very derogatory term. There's nothing, there's no reason in saying it that way. He's not saying it in a term of endearment. He's saying it in the most derogatory way possible. It reminds me, growing up in the 80s, as a teenager, where teenagers would use this term in the most derogatory way to demean and humiliate people. It's the term, I've never seen the term used in anything other than a demeaning, humiliating way. There's nothing godly about it. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that I've never let corrupt communication proceed out of the mouth because I am a sinner as well. What I am saying is this is unacceptable, just like any time I've done it is unacceptable. I've never, I don't use that term, but in any other way that I've used uh, inappropriate language, it's not acceptable. I don't look, what, what? Just, it's just, he just throws it out there. Hey, we went to the city council and these and I'm like, what? Just like it's just normal. And nobody in the church has a problem. Amen. <laughs> it's like, what? What are you talking? Nobody has a problem with it. But this is supposedly the spirit of God working in it. This is supposedly a spirit-filled preaching where the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, temperance. Love is patient. Love is kind. I'm going to back it up just a little bit so we can hear it again. 
Here we go. Us today is because in America, they're still afraid of the police a little bit. But let me tell you, in the Great Tribulation, it's not going to be like that. They won't be afraid anymore to commit the violence that they want to commit. Verse 27. I mean, we went to that city council meeting. These faggots were literally threatening the mayor to his face in public. They're saying like, hey, next time we come back here, we're not going to ask again. We're not going to be asking next time. It's like, wow. I mean, you're so brazen to threaten the government in public. Wow. That's what's in their heart. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They're saying, hey, I thought we already told you to shut up already. But my question to these people is, who do you think you are? When God has given the commandment to preach the word, when God has told us what's right and wrong, who do you think you are to tell us to shut up? I don't care if you're a protester or a mayor or a police officer or a governor or a president of a nation. If you give an order to tell us to stop preaching the word of God, who do you think you are? Because there is a power that is higher than you. The Bible says to obey the higher powers. And while I fully believe in respecting police and respecting governors and respecting the mayor and respecting the positions of authority that are in our life, I do not believe in for one second to obey them over God. When there's conflicting commandments from God, no, sorry. Who do you think you are to tell us to shut up from the word of God? Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Notice their answer, verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, They were cut to the heart, and notice the conspiracy once again, and took counsel to slay them. Again, wanting to shut these people up. But look, when you actually read the Bible, you've read the Bible cover to cover one single time, and you understand the power and the might of God and how high and holy and lifted up is the Lord. You will not for one second think that it would be appropriate to fear any man over him, over God. The reason why people are fearing man over God is because they have an improper improper perspective of God. They don't respect God enough. They don't love God enough. They don't fear God enough in the proper way that they should. And that's why they're afraid of protesters. See, please note, they don't love God enough. They don't respect God enough. They don't do this about God enough. But of course, it's implied that church, the one we're listening to, they do respect God enough. They do love God enough. See, I thank God that I'm not like all of these other churches. I thank God I'm not like all these because we love God right. We respect God right. We we do everything right, but everyone else is a piece of garbage. It, that's really where this, uh, the way it's going. They, they don't love God. And you think you love God enough? You think you love God sufficiently? You think you love, you think you respect God enough? You have a sinful nature just like the other people that you are condemning. But, uh, you know, what, what do I know? You know, that, you know, the, the, I guess, you know, depravity didn't, uh, doesn't, uh, impact this church. I guess when they became saved, their, their sinful nature was eradicated. Now, I know what they would say. We're not saying that. I know you're not supposedly, you're, you think you're not saying that, but in a way you are. 
saying that, and I've been guilty of doing the same thing. The LGBT mafia, rather than of God, it's pathetic. It's sad. And by the way, fearing God goes hand in hand with loving God. They are very, very closely related. Go to John chapter number 14. I'll read for you. Proverbs 29, verse 25, the Bible says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The Bible says that fearing man is a trap. It is a trap that's waiting to snare you. And our country today, unfortunately, has fallen into this trap of fearing man. And look at the position we're in, where every company feels like they have to be obligated to change their profile picture on Facebook to a rainbow flag, or they're afraid that they'll be canceled. They're afraid that they'll lose their business. They're afraid that they'll be protested. I mean, we got police officers that are afraid to enforce the law being broken right in front of their eyes because of fear of man, because it's a snare, it's a trap. But guess what? It is a trap. It's trapped our nation. So now we have a mafia. We have a mob of bullies that are going around in this community and destroying people's business and attacking people's churches, and anything that they don't like, they just show up to, they don't obey the laws, they bring violence, they bring threats to try to get it canceled. That's what our country has created because of fear. We should have listened to the Bible where it said that the fear of man bringeth a snare. It's a trap. Don't fear man. Fear God. This problem could have been squashed like a bug a long time ago. John 14, 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. This problem could have been squashed like a bug a long time ago. I, like I, what, what, what problem could have been squashed a long time ago? What, what problem? Homosexuality could have been squashed a long time ago if we just passed laws against it. Is that what you're saying? Like, I don't know exactly where are you going with that? Because I know this, the Old Testament, there was always constant laws. There was constant punishment. There was even people being put to death. And guess what? It never changed the human heart. That's the whole point. The external law can't change the human heart. That's why we have to be saved by an imputed righteousness because our the, the righteous standard of the law, all it does is condemn and condemn and condemn. Christians constantly want to impose some external law upon people so that they live like Christians, but you can't make people live like Christians by passing laws to try to force them to do so. I don't know where Christians don't understand this. You can't do that. I'm going to pass this law and this law and this law and this law. Israel had every kind of law you could think of. They had punishments and they rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned and over 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 again. I don't... I don't think Christians truly believe in the depravity of the heart. I, I, I think, I think, I think they're full. I think forget semi-Pelagian. I think they've gone full-blown Pelagian and don't even understand anymore the way it it actually is. But let's see where he's going to go. Maybe, maybe he'll clarify and give me exactly what how he thinks this problem should be resolved. Notice, loving God, fearing God, very, very closely related. Jesus says that if you love Him, you'll keep His commandments. One of those commandments was to preach the word, right? It's funny, the church across the street, they have a big sign that says, love God, love people, change the world. Here's my question. If you love God, if you tell me you love God, you better be preaching everything that the Bible says. Because if you shy away from anything that God says, you don't love God. Because you're not keeping the commandment to preach the word. Don't tell me you love God when you won't preach against the sodomites. Don't tell me you love God when you won't preach against pride. A church that would have a rainbow flag outside of its church. Let me just tell you what that church is screaming from the top of its lungs. We hate God. 
right. That's what that church is saying. We love God. We love people. No, you hate God and you hate people. And that brings me to my second point of why we won't shut up. Number one, we won't shut up because we fear God. And number two, we won't shut up because we love people. Because we love people. Now turn to Acts chapter number four. They love people. Now he's already said that the homosexual doesn't deserve love. So he loves some people. Okay, where, where is this going to? Maybe he's going to clarify everything. And maybe this is going to demonstrate that the news got this completely wrong. Let's wait and see. Acts chapter number four. <clears throat> Look at verse one. It says, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now even tide. Now notice though, after they'd been threatened, after they'd been put in hold, notice verse four. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So notice, these, these hateful apostles, Peter and John, that are going around preaching the resurrection from the dead, that the Jews, that the chief priests, that all these people want to shut up and stop from preaching, what was the result of their preaching? Over 5,000 people getting saved in one day. Praise God for that. And you know what? By the grace of God, our church has had 761 salvations this year. And last year, by the grace of God, our church has had 2,111 salvations last year. Now, my question is these churches that just love people so much more than us, and we're so hateful, we don't love people like Christ loves people. Where's their salvations? Where's their 2,000 plus salvations last year? What are they doing? They're doing nothing. They're feeding ham sandwiches to the homeless downtown Dallas. They're going and giving free heroin needles to people in Portland. They're donating their money to Black Lives Matter. They're not getting people saved. Those are some big numbers. Those are some, those are some gigantic numbers. Uh, of people supposedly saved by their church. I don't know how they actually calculate someone's salvation. It would be interesting to know exactly how they calculate it. I'm going to try to see here. Do we get any idea how big this church is? Let's see here. Uh, Well, if that's the church, um, that's not that big. For 2,000 For 2,000 salvations last year and, what, 700 this year, they, they I don't know where the, all the people are. I don't know where all the people are because that does not look that big at all. Um, let's see if I can find anything else here. Um, let's see here. I'm going to look here. They have a watch live. I'm going to see. They do, they do they pull up and... No, they don't pull up an uh, an old one. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to I'm going to go to their sermons. All right. Okay. They they I'm going to pull up. I'm going to pull up from YouTube and see if they show the audience here. No, it's one of those just one. It's a 
a camera, just a stationary camera that maybe they show the audience. I would, I mean, 2000 people last year, 700 people saved this year. And then, and we, Hey, Hey, we're, we're saving people. And once again, that's very much like they're coming close to taking credit for that. Hey, we're, 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 we're saving people. These other churches, they're just feeding people. We're out there saving people. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're saving people or is God saving people? And if God's saving people, why are you taking credit for it? Like I, like I, this get this is getting really sliding over into kind of braggadocious. That hey, look at us! And again, I that how are you counting all of these salvations? Like what are you? How are you counting that many salvations? I, I want to know because this church is located in Texas, where pretty much everyone already claims to be saved. But okay, uh, but that's that's a lot of. I wonder how this occurred. I wonder how this occurred. I have my suspicions based off my previous experience in independent fundamental Baptist churches um, in Nebraska. I, I, I kind of I, I saw how they would count sometimes, and then they would announce we'd go out for quote unquote soul winning, and I saw how they kind of counted the numbers, and it was yeah. There's some, but all right, all right. That, that, I just find that interesting, but okay. Don't come at us saying that we're not loving when we're getting people saved every single week. And it's not because we're special. It's all by the grace of God. We understand that. But let me tell you why we won't shut up about anything in the Bible. And it's because we love people. And if, if Peter and John would have shut up, Okay. Hey, hey, we're getting people saved. I mean, it is the grace of God, so we're not special, but we're getting people saved and we got 2000. So don't come at us that we don't love people because we've got these numbers that just, I don't know how you base them off of. Just, I mean, at least (laughs) give me some way in which you're calculating said number. But so you can't say we're hateful because we're saving people. We are saving people. But I mean, it's the grace of God, but we're saving people, but it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. But, But we're saving people because I mean, because we love people because we're doing something. You're just feeding people. We're saving people. All right. <laughs> so, okay, let's continue. Up, would these five thousand people have gotten saved? No, they would not have. So, guess what? We shouldn't shut up either because there's people hanging in the balances in this community that will get saved if we don't shut up, if we keep preaching, and if we keep preaching every doctrine in the Bible. Go to John chapter number ten. John chapter number ten. Go to John uh, 10, and also get your place in Ezekiel chapter number 34. Ezekiel chapter number 34. John 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling And notice, careth not for the sheep. How do you tell if the person loves people? You know, these pastors that love to virtue signal about how loving they are, and they always preach with a really sweet voice. (laughs) You don't find the irony in this. These pastors who virtue signal about how loving they are while he's telling us how loving his churches, hey, these pastors out there who virtual signal about how loving they are, you're literally sitting there telling you that your church is so loving. Aren't you not virtual signaling, telling us how loving you are because you've had 2,000 people saved last year and over 700 saved this year? Aren't you doing the same thing? 
Hey, they, they tell us how loving they are like you are, like, like you are. Okay. Okay. But you got to find these people out there who tell, tell you how loving they are like you're doing. You don't see the irony there. Okay. Let's continue. And, you know, they're always dressing as non-threatening as possible. And they just, they're just oozing love. Here's how you can tell if this person actually loves someone or not. Do they warn about the wolves or not? Because the Bible says that the hireling that does not care about the sheep, he flees when he sees the wolf coming. He doesn't warn when he sees the wolf coming. And some pastors are so hateful that not only do they just shut up about this issue and not preach and not warn about the wolves, but some pastors actually bring the wolves into the congregation. They actually bring the wolves in amongst the sheep and actually bring sodomites and actually bring crannies into the house of God and they put them in the daycare and they make them the song leader and they have them play the instruments and they have them serve in the house of God. That's how hateful they are. And then he has to throw out the term trannies. What, what, like you're not, you're, you're acting like you're a high school kid trying to be provocative. Now, I understand if, if a church, when you say bring them in, bring them in. Yeah, you're bringing them in and putting in places of leadership of that which may not be qualified for biblical leadership. I understand we could have some discussions about that. But, I mean, he can't even talk about this without just spe- speaking like a, 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 a reasonable adult. This is how high school kids talk trannies and he's already used the other word like what are you hoping to do that you think you're you're big you're bad you're you're somehow like are you are you like it's almost like he's got to overcompensate for something i I gotta i gotta go over the top to try to show us that we're so opposed to it You, you do realize you can just say that in the church bringing certain people in who reject this doctrine or this doctrine or this doctrine would be problematic because you have to stand for doctrinal truth. Like you can st- you can talk about it or this sinful lifestyle cannot be, is not accepted as far as maybe membership or as far as leadership in the church or whatever the case may be. You can speak of it in a passionate, godly way without just, re- re- just Going to this kind of, I just don't understand. But let, let's see. Let's, we're, we're, I, we're, we, we have to finish this, so we're going to go over an hour. But I'm just going to go as fast as we can until we get to the part that the new. Look, no one's going to be able to accuse us of taking anything out of context. You're hearing the whole sermon, so that's what we're going to. We're going to at least try to get all the way up to the shocking point and then right after just to make sure we have the full context. If they claim that they're loving, hey, if you're loving, you know what you'll do? You'll warn against the wolf. Why is that? Because real people actually get hurt by these people. Real souls actually get hurt by the wolves. And I'll prove that in Ezekiel chapter number 34. Ezekiel chapter number 34. It should be there, Ezekiel 34. Look at verse number one. It says this, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Look, don't get this idea that just because someone is a pastor that they're a good person. I mean, good night. There is so many pastors that are wicked people. There are so many Christian preachers that are absolute evil, wicked people. And it's funny, you know, these protests of these sodomites will try to throw that in our face and be like, what about this pastor that's a sodomite? Uh, Put him to death. We're not standing with someone just because they call themselves a pastor. 
put them to death. Now, please note, these passages about warning against the wolves, he's just applying it directly to homosexuality. He's not applying it to everything. Not applying it to everything. Uh, no, don't. Put them to death. He literally just said, put them to death. Okay, we haven't supposedly even got to the shocking part yet. All right, here we go. It, you can feel it building. You can feel it starting to build. They call themselves a preacher. They call themselves a Baptist or whatever. No, we're against the shepherds that feed themselves, just like God is. Verse 3, ye eat the fat, and ye clothe you with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick, neither have ye bound up that which was broken, neither have ye brought again that which was driven away, neither have ye sought that which was lost, but with cruelty and with force and with cruelty have ye ruled them. And they You haven't bound up that which was broken? You haven't sought that which is lost? With cruelty, you have ruled them? Are we going to hear about the bounding or, or, or helping that which is broken? Are we going to hear about seeking that which is lost? Are we going to hear about not ruling with cruelty? Or are we about to hear kill people? What are we about to hear? Are we hearing seek them? You know, hey, they're wounded. They're broken. Let's put them back together. No, 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 no. It sounds like what we're going to hear is kill them. He already said, hey, kill them. If if it's a kill them, just put them to death. Well, okay. Oh, wow. That's that's see, that's seek and save that which is lost. That's bounding up that which is broken. It it what? He he doesn't hear the words he's reading, and not going. Wait a minute. I. I don't know if I'm doing this. Isn't it always amazing how we can read scripture and, and condemn others and not see it stabbing us in our own heart? How do, when we don't feel the conviction of God's word towards us and all we see it as a hammer that we can smash other people with, we're, we're the problem. We're scattered because there's no shepherd. And notice this, and they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Isn't it interesting that in Jude, the Bible calls these sodomites brute beasts? And isn't it also interesting? No, he called the people who had crept into the church unawares. Stop taking that verse and applying it back to the people in Sodom. You're, you're not outlining the chapter, the book correctly. I mean, come on. That when shepherds, when pastors don't love people and don't do their job, and don't warn against the wolves how God's people and how people in general become meat to these beasts. You know, there's a lot of children in the United States of America that are becoming meat to these pedophiles. That we're allowing homosexual couples to adopt children and Baptist preachers aren't standing up and saying anything about it. And they're letting people become meat to predators. But they want to talk about how loving they are. When as a direct result of preachers not preaching the word of God, that's why we're in the position we're in today. That's why sodomites are accepted in our society to the point where they can have kids. It's preacher's fault. It's pastor's fault. It's Baptist's fault for being scared of people, for being scared of man rather than of God, and for not loving people like they should. Because if you actually love people, you'll warn against these wolves. And let me tell you something. Listen up, children. Those people that are out there are wicked people. They want to hurt you. They hate God. They hate us. And those people are wicked, brute beasts. And we need to teach. Wow. 
wow, he's telling the children that the protesters out there want to hurt them, that they're wicked. You, the wickedness is inside the church as well. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. All right. We're going to continue. I'm looking at up some information, but I'm going to continue. Our children, if you actually love your children, you actually love people to tell them what they're really like. Go to Romans chapter one, and we'll talk about what they're actually like. Now, I'm angry this morning because our entire country is celebrating the worst sin in the Bible. You know, a lot of pastors. The worst sin in the Bible. The worst sin in the Bible is not blasphemy. It's not idolatry. It's not the rejection of the eternal Son of God and his offer of salvation. The worst sin of the Bible is homosexuality. Hmm. It's got to feel good. Because that means if you don't struggle with that sin, it's got to be great because you never commit the worst sin of the Bible. Isn't it great? Isn't it always great that the worst sin of the Bible is not the sin you struggle with or the sin you commit? Oh, it's got to be, I, man, what a what a great way to do things. You commit the worst sin. We don't. We're always so much better than you guys, right? Pastors have this stupid idea where it's just like, oh, you know, God loves everyone. And God hates the sin but loves the sinner. But people have taken this to such an extreme where they're saying, celebrate the sin. Not just tolerate it. Celebrate it. Let me show you what the Bible says about these people. And look, it's not my problem. It's not any preacher's problem if you don't believe the Bible. That is your problem. So if there's, you know, any sour faces in the room, you know, your sour face, you could direct that straight at God. Romans chapter 1, verse 26 says this. For this cause... God gave them up unto vile affections. Vile means disgusting, sick, gross. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir which was meet. No one can, can argue that this is not talking about homosexuals right here. Women with women, Men with men, that is the context of what we are talking about. Look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now notice this phrase, being filled with all unrighteousness. That is a scary, scary, scary phrase in your Bible. That these people are... Now... I mean, anyone who's preached Romans, yes, if you see that there's a downward trend, not just within the homosexuality, but there's a downward trend within humanity, right? For uh, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. This is everyone. This is all of humanity is without excuse. All right, all of us. Right? Because they, when they knew God, they glorified not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is humanity. This is all of all people. We're all like this. Professing themselves to be wise, we became fools, changed the glory. And there's a downward spiral of humanity that, that even, that even within the fall of humanity, or the, the downward spiral of humanity, even the sin of homosexuality is manifest along with many other sins. This is speaking of within all of humanity, all of these things. It's speaking of all of humanity. This is the natural condition of all of man, and it goes on being filled with all unrighteousness. We are depraved. Our nature is filled with all unrighteousness. And fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murders, debate, deceit, malignity, and whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant, uh, covenant, uh, breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. All that is described. This is bringing in all sins, not just the sin of homosexuality. The sin of homosexuality is just one of the many sins mentioned here in the downward spiral of humanity. Once we reject God, it's a downward spiral. Once humanity turned from God, then it is a downward spiral to their sinful nature being exposed and manifesting itself in many different ways. And some and homosexuality and others, fornication or wickedness or covetousness or maliciousness. This is not a chapter just about homosexuals. It's a chapter, and it can, and it, this continues, uh, demonstrating that there is none that seeketh God, God. There is no, not one. There is no, no one righteous. This is this, the depravity of man. This speaks of the condition of every human being. We come out of the womb, dead in our trespasses and, uh, and sins. We come out with a depraved nature. He's, he's going to use this to try to just say, it's just homosexuality. Like he keeps doing in Jude, just making it about homosexuality. He's got a, it's almost like he's fixated on the sin of homosexuality and he can't see that homosexuality is one of many sins that are condemned and God hates all unrighteousness. He hates all sin and he condemns all sin. There may be, there may be certain consequences and there may be certain issues that are that is specific to the sin of homosexuality but god hates all sin all of it is condemned by god and over and over and over the sin of homosexuality whenever it does show up is listed with all the other kinds of sins because it, they're all there they're all if you if you violate one law you're guilty of all law we're all guilty before god Being filled with all unrighteousness. To be filled. You know, if I had another cup and I poured water into this entire cup and it was up to the brim, would there be any room for anything else in this cup? No, there wouldn't. That's our depravity. <laughs> that, there, that's our depravity. We are 
filled with unrighteousness. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. That is the state of humanity. And it mani- that, that unrighteousness that we're filled with manifests itself in so many ways. It may manifest itself in a socially acceptable sin. It may manifest itself in a sin that's not acceptable by society. It may be something horrible. It may be something small. It may be something that appears pleasurable. And maybe something that appears to be evil and, and hurtful, but it will manifest itself in so many different ways because we are filled with it. Guess what flows out of us? Sin. The human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Everything flows out of our heart and our depravity. We do not become sinners by sinning. We sin because that's what we are filled with. We are sinners by nature. Here's the thing. Here's why reprobates Here's why homosexuals are so dangerous to society. They're not like other sinners in the sense that every single day that they are alive, they're being filled with more and more and more unrighteousness. Where is he getting that concept? No, we're already filled with unrighteousness. So homosexuals are a danger to society? Wait, How many crimes and rape and murder have committed by heterosexuals? You're saying homosexuals are a threat to society, not heterosexuals who rape, who molest, who murder, who enslave, who human traffic, drug dealing. Where, what in the world is he talking about? Homosexuals are a threat, not heterosexuals. No, 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 no. None of the heterosexuals who show up in the Southern Baptist Convention report, I get, they're not a threat to anybody. No, I'm not a threat to anybody, just homosexuals. This is a complete denial of human depravity and biblical theology. But he's warning about wolves. Yeah, I'll warn, I'll warn about wolves, wolves who seem to can't handle the word of God in anything close to a correct way. That is a scary thing. You want to know why we say that all homosexuals are pedophiles? And let me make that very clear. All homosexuals are pedophiles. And people say, well, what about all the straight people that molest children? They're fags. I don't care what you call them. All homosexuals are pedophiles? And any straight person that molests a child is a, once again, he's got to act like he's a high school kid, you know, talking trash. If a, if a person is with a child, you're a fag, you're a reprobate, you're a sodomite. I don't care what kind of classifications our government wants to give them. All homosexuals are pedophiles. Now, here's the thing. Here's, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that every single homosexual that's alive right now has committed that act with a child already. Because it could be that they haven't had the opportunity yet, and they will at some point later in their life. This is why... We need to put these people to death through the proper channels of the government because the Bible says that they are being filled. So here's the thing. Wow. This happened in a church with children present. Christians want to get upset about a Disney movie how about what churches are, you're telling kids that people should be put to death because you don't agree with their sin? 
And you're going to somehow justify that in the eyes of God? A child raised in this way, what in the world are you doing? (sighs) Yes, maybe not every single homosexual has been with a child yet, but what about tomorrow when they're filled with a little more unrighteousness? What about in a week from now when they're filled with a little more unrighteousness? His, his exegesis of this passage, they're going to be filled with more unrighteousness. We're already, fi- we're already totally depraved. He, he must be full-blown Pelagian. He must be a full-blown Pelagian. He must, he must have completely em- embraced Pelagianism. I, I, I don't even know what is happening here. I do not know what is happening here. I am trying to be patient. I am trying to be patient. I am trying to be patient. I told you this is going to be very difficult. I told you this was going to be very difficult. What about 20 years from now? What are they going to be like? You look up the statistics on these sodomites that abuse children. They're with so many children, it'll make you throw up. Disgusting. These people are not normal. They're not your average everyday sinners. They're what the Bible calls reprobates. They're rejected by God. They have no hope of salvation. Now look at verse number 30. I'm sorry, verse 29. No hope for salvation. If you're a heterosexual, there's hope for salvation. If you're a homosexual, there's no hope for salvation. Oh, man. I, I, I am so thankful that God... I'm so grateful that God and the Word of God is not bound to a church... I, I, I'm having a hard time here. I, I, I'm. I, I, I don't even know what to say. If, if this man thinks he deserves salvation, but a homosexual doesn't, His handling of Romans is beyond suspect. It's beyond broken. He doesn't seem to understand human depravity in any way, shape, or form. All of humanity, we're all totally depraved. We're all filled with unrighteousness. Our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. We are all dead in our trespasses and sins. That is the human condition. No one seeketh God. No one is good. No, not one. We are all gone our own way. We've become unprofitable. We all deserve judgment. We all deserve condemnation. We're all under the wrath of God and our nature. But none of us is beyond God's grace. It says, being filled with all unrighteousness. Now it's going to explain to us what that is. Fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, 
whisperers. Doesn't this sound like wonderful people to have in our society? I mean, you know what our country is literally doing during the month of June? This is what they're doing. We are going to celebrate people that are full of fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers. That's what our country's saying. He's applying it just to homosexuals. He's literally just applying this to homosexuals. I, I man. This, this literally proves how dangerous, how dangerous the word of God, this literally just demonstrates how dangerous the word of God is in the hands of, 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 I know this is going to sound like I'm rejection of, of the, of the uh, Protestant Reformation, but this just shows how dangerous the word of God is in the hands of someone who clearly doesn't know how to exegete it or handle it. Someone just posted this. Um, Everyone is a sinner, but certain sins should be punished with the death penalty by the government, such as murder, rape, homosexuality, bestiality, adultery, adultery, witchcraft, striking, cursing your parents, and other capital punishment uh, outlined in the Old Testament, which is not expressly done away with in the New Testament. Okay, at least, at least, uh, at least it appears that they give um, all the other things that should be put to death. So at least they're just not calling for homosexuals to be put to death. At least they're somewhat con- consistent. Now, I don't, if adultery, does that just mean physical adultery? Or if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery, because I bet you the one preaching probably deserves to be put to death, right? Um, uh, someone asked a question. I'm not going to repeat the question online. Yes, it, that is the name of the church. I don't want to give the name of the church in this ep- in this episode. I'm, I'm refusing to do so. All right. Uh, someone just said, uh, this guy is outrageous. Go home, dude. Yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. People wanted Beth Moore to go home. How about, uh, man, this, this is so bad. I'm trying to be godly here, but this, I am getting very bothered here. And I don't think we've even got to the shocking part yet. We haven't even got to the shocking part. I don't think, I don't think the news has done justice to how bad this sermon is. All right, here we go. Let's celebrate people that are full of murder. Let's celebrate people that are full of maliciousness, meaning ill intent, wanting to. That's all of us. Out of the heart comes murder and envy and fighting and schism. It comes from the human heart. Your heart contains all of this unrighteousness, just like their heart. Why are you saying they, 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 as if you think you're some perfect, spotless, godly person. You're a sinner just like they are, just a different kind of sin. Harm people. Come take a look at our voicemails. And you'll realize how malicious they are. You'll realize how full of murder they are. You know, people accuse us of preaching murder. Look, if you think that a person getting charged with a crime, tried in a fair court, found guilty, convicted, and sentenced to death, if you think that is murder, you don't even understand what murder is, okay? Being put to death by the government is not murder. It's called capital punishment. We've never preached murdering sodomites. The sin of murder is wicked. It is wicked to take the law into your own hands. That is not what we believe. We believe that they should be put to death by the government. But you know who does preach murder? The sodomites do. 
Okay, well, at least I'm glad that he's saying at least the government should do it because the government's never going to do it. So at least that's good. Hopefully the government's never going to do it. Hope, And it's good to know that uh, they, they support the government. I, I wonder... I wonder if they followed the government rules when it came to COVID. I wonder. I wonder if they did. I, you know what? I bet you they didn't. So they want the government to be there to kill homosexuals, but they won't listen to the government when it comes to COVID. I, I bet you. I bet you that that's the thing. I bet you that's the thing. Yeah. All right. Come look at our voicemail. I mean, I sent one to Ben yesterday, and this guy was just hoping that Pastor Shelley dies of AIDS and HIV and, and syphilis and gonorrhea. And there's all these, you know, these messages saying that they want to come shoot us down. They're the ones that preach murder. What does the Bible say? They're the ones. Um, sir, you should have used to listen to my voicemails from the past where I received death threats from professing Christians who weren't uh, sodomites or homosexuals. Uh, just uh, good-loving, Bible-believing people who threatened because I said something against guns and they threatened to kill me. Yeah, so, so yeah, we can go both ways here. The ones that are full of murder, they're the ones that are full of murder. Verse 30, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud. There's your gay pride. There's your gay pride in the Bible right there. Proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. That's the entire human race. How can he how can he preach this and not understand that he's taking a passage that describes all of humanity, humanity's descent downward, the downward spiral since the fall. How can he not realize this describes all of us? Disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. You, you can't have any mercy and be a child molester. You have no mercy whatsoever. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only- Okay, well, they may have a different view of depravity, which would explain some of this, all right? This may explain some of this because according to the website, if, and I, I, I will have to verify this, but I'm trusting the person's looking at the, uh, the, 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 the church website, uh, because they, they asked what church it was, and I think they have the correct one. Um, they said that according to the website, also from the website, Calvinism, all five points are false or twisted or perverted. So that means they reject total depravity. So clearly, they can't apply this passage to all of humanity, so they, clearly they have to apply it to homosexuals only. They can't apply it to everyone because that would believe total depravity. So their, their theological error is leading to this insanity that we are hearing unfold in front of us. And it's getting worse by the second. Only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. What does God say is the answer for the sodomite? What does God say is the answer is the solution for the homosexual in 2022 here in the New Testament here in the book of Romans, that they are worthy of death. These people should be put to death. Every single homosexual in our country should be charged with the crime, the abomination of homosexuality that they have. They should be convicted in a lawful trial. They should be sentenced with death. They should be lined up against the wall and shot in the back of the head. That- oh, man, man, man. Every one of those sins makes us worthy of death. 
So if you want to do this, we should all be lined up and shot in the back of the head because we're all depraved sinners. But he just literally called for human beings to be lined up and shot in the back of the head for them committing a sexual sin that the Bible condemns. I'm going to... I got to get, uh, I think I just moved, messed up where we were on the time frame. So I got to find this again. Here we go. Um, I, I, I messed up the time on the, on the audio. I was trying to back it up and it went too far. So it may take me a minute to find it. So just be patient. Maliciousness, meaning ill intent, wanting to harm people. Come take a look at our voicemails. All right. We got to move it up just a little bit. Got to move it up just a little bit. Want to get right back to where we were. preach murder. What does the Bible say? They're the ones that are full of murder. They're the ones that are full of murder. Verse 30, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud. There's your gay pride. There's your gay pride in the Bible right there. Proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. You, You can't have any mercy and be a child molester. You have no mercy whatsoever. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. What does God say is the answer for the sodomite? What does God say is the answer, is the solution for the homosexual in 2022, here in the New Testament, here in the book of Romans, that they are worthy of death? These people should be put to death. Every single homosexual in our country should be charged with the crime, the abomination of homosexuality that they have. They should be convicted in a lawful trial. They should be sentenced with death. They should be lined up against the wall and shot in the back of the head. That's what God teaches. That's what the Bible says. And kids are hearing that. Kids are hearing that. People are upset about a Disney movie and that, that, that's preached in a church with children in the sanctuary, you've heard, you could hear them earlier on. And he even talked about the young people that the, that the, the, the protesters outside want to harm you. He said that to the kids. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. This, this I, I'm telling you, this, this literally demonstrates what happens when a person cannot handle the word of God. This was the whole Catholic argument that if you place the Bible in the hands of the average person, that it's going to be damaging. It's going to be dangerous. And, 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 and as Protestants, we reject the, the Catholic argument. But look what happens when people handle the word of God and can't even exegete Romans 1 and demonstrate that that's describing the entire human population, that we all are ungodly and we all deserve death. That is what we all deserve. The wages of sin is death. We're all guilty. We all deserve to die. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But we offer salvation to those who deserve death so that we can be saved by the grace of God who died for sinners. Wow. You don't like it. You don't like God's word. Because that is what God says. And notice, these people, 
Not only do they do all this abomination, but look at the end of that verse. They have pleasure in them that do them. When sodomites, when wicked reprobate sodomites go up and shoot up an elementary school, you know what the sodomites are doing? They're rejoicing. They're, they're happy about that. Wait. A sodomite shot up a school? What, what sodomite shot up a school? Is he going with the, the misidentification of the shooter in Texas in Uvalde where on 4chan they said it was a, either a transgender and they misidentified the shooter? Alex Jones misidentified the shooter at first and a lot, and it was going around. Is that what he's referring to here? Is he referring to misidentifying the shooter? Or did we, no, heterosexuals have never shot up a school. Never. Heterosexuals never kill anyone. Heterosexuals never commit crime. Heterosexuals are the most peace-loving people. Never, never beat their wives, never beat their children, never commit crime, never steal, never lie, never cheat. It's just homosexuals. And heterosexuals never take pleasure in those who do the same. Never. Because it says that they have pleasure in them that do all these things. You know, while a normal person would look at a, a tragedy or something really sad that happened, a child getting abused, you know, a school shooter, a murder, a rape, a really just sick crime, and our hearts would break over that, and we would be grieved for the sin and for the wickedness that's gone on when they celebrate it. They're happy about it. That's the type of people the sodomites are. That's I, I've known and worked with homosexuals. I've seen them more broken and more grieved over sometimes things happening in the world than I've ever seen even from those who claim to be Christian. Where, where, would, you, where would you come up with this nonsense? He's just straight up lying. It's so funny that he read from Jude where Michael the archangel would not offer a... a, a, a in fact, let me read it. I'm going to read it. Because he read it, and then he's completely, I guess, quickly forgot where it says this. And Michael, the archangel, uh, who when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring about a railing accusation. Michael, the archangel, would not even offer a railing accusation against the devil. And he's offering lying railing accusations against people whom he dis disagreed with. He's, he's lying. He's slandering. He's falsely condemning. That's the type of people that America is celebrating today. Leviticus 20.13 says this, If a man also lie with mankind, as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. You are not smarter than God. There's no creature in America that is smarter than God. The corporations of our nation are not smarter than God. And this is what God's punishment for homosexuals is, is the death penalty through the proper channels. And if anyone has a different opinion on that, you're wrong. Because that's what God said. Go to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Right. In the old covenant, it was set up because Israel was being run as a theocracy, which we're no longer under. 
And nowhere in the New Testament are we called to set up a theocracy. What we are called to do is proclaim the word of God and call people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ while submitting to whatever government that happens to be over us at any given time. There is no call in the New Testament to transfer, to trans, to 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 uh, somehow transform government, transition government. It's about, no, we go and preach to anyone and everyone, calling them to faith. They come to faith, baptize, and then teaching them to obey. Now, we're going to have to stop. There's 23 minutes left. I don't know if I'm going to review the rest. I think I got through everything the news pointed out. I'm going to make sure here. Um, I, I've got so many messages about this today. I got so many messages about this today. Let me see here. Uh, okay, yeah, I think I got most everything the news. Yeah, I think I got everything in the news uh, or everything the news article pointed out. And you got all of the context before. Um, so I'm going to have to do this. Well, no, I'm, I'm going to do this way because I'm, I'm going, I'm not going to give this person any more fame or recognition because this is a travesty and, oh, this is so ungodly. Here's what I would tell you to do. If you want to find it, do a search for Texas pastor says gay people should be shot in the back of the head in shocking sermon. Now, once you find it, they have a hyperlink to the name of the sermon, which is why we won't shut up. If you click on it, it will take you to the church's website. And the sermon is still there. Gives the name of the individual. He's not the pastor. He's just one of the men in the church. Uh, the pastor's different name. But it will give you, it give you all the information about the church, and you can look at it for yourself. We, If we look at our do- the doctrine of the church, uh, let's see here. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, they, they condemn... Uh, they condemn Calvinism. So they reject all five points, which would be total depravity, which a lot of this would make a lot of sin, a uh, sense here. All right. Um, they don't believe in a pre-trib rapture. They condemn that. They do agree, uh, d- condemn Pentecostal oneness. Okay. That's, I'm glad they do that. They, they, d- they disagree with the charismatic movement. I agree with that. Uh, So Christians should not take the law into their own hands, but they should kick Christians out of the church for any offense punishable by death. So any sin in the Old Testament that was punishable by death, if you commit that, you're kicked out. So I'm assuming, since adultery was one of those things, then I'm assuming that if you look at a woman with lust, you should be kicked out of the church because you're an adulterer, according to Jesus. But I, I guess they probably won't practice that that way. Um, I... I Look, I didn't want to look at, I didn't even want to look at this today, but it just had to be talked about. Here's the most, I I guess this is how I'll end. I know I say all the time the importance of hermeneutics. I know I talk about it constantly. The importance of learning Bible study methods. 
I, I, that you need to learn all 12 methods and you need how to do them. And I know I constantly harp hermeneutics, hermeneutics. And I know I preach in a way where I try to get my church to engage in the actual hermeneutical process in the middle of a sermon, which a lot of people find weird. I know a lot of people don't like the way I do the Bible study exercise where I'm kind of like getting you to do the method. Let me explain why this is so important. You just heard a sermon where the man's inability to handle the word of God in anything even closely looking like a correct way as very instrumental into calling for human beings to be lined up against the wall and shot in the back of the head. That is horrific, horrible, ungodly, evil, beyond anything I can even comprehend. And it makes me almost sick to even be associated with anything like this. But they call themselves Christians. I call myself a Christian. I wish there was a different way to call myself something. But a lot of it, the reason he in, they end up there is because he completely lacked an ability to even interpret Romans 1, even anything that would even resemble anything close to the actual meaning of the text. That's because he seems to lack the lack the ability to exegete the passage and interpret it. So the only way to protect yourself from this nonsense is that you, you, I'm speaking to you as an individual, you learn Bible study methods, those are observational methods, there's 12, and that you learn hermeneutical principles and concepts that you know how to observe a text and interpret a text so that no one can wrongly use a text against you and manipulate you and convince you to believe things that are completely contrary to the word of God. You, the only one who's going to protect you is you. That's it. Unless we return to Rome and trust the magisterial authority of the church. But if you, it's, it's, if you reject the magisterial authority of the church, it's your responsibility to know how to do this. And I cannot stress that enough. What we just heard there is the result of an absolute horrible, horrible twisting of the word of God. And I, it's, the whole thing is sad. The whole thing is frightening, and we can't figure out why so many people are like, I'm done with Christianity. I'm done with the church. I, I don't want anything. And at least many still, many are not done with Christianity, but they're done with the church. They're done with the corporate church because of this kind of stuff, because of the political hijacking, the nonsense that we talked about earlier this morning of praying for the death of the president, all of the things that we talk, we talk about. These things are just driving people out of the corporate church and, or the, or you can, it's just, it's, it's, or the visible church. People are just like, I, I'm, I can't handle this anymore. I'll stop right there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I wish I had something profound to say. I wish I had something profound to say. I have nothing profound to say other than woe is me. And I just know that I'm no better than them. I'm a sinner. I deserve death and I'm ungodly. I'm no better than anybody. And uh, I, 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 if I, I'm angry, but I need to pray for their salvation. Or I, It's hard for me to believe that that's Christianity. I'm going to pray for them. If they're truly saved, they would obviously massive transformation in their doctrinal beliefs. And if they're not saved, I wish they would be touched by the spirit of God that, that it's about love and joy and peace. And that at the same time, yes, we condemn sin, but we do so in a biblical way. All right, I'll stop there. Newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. God bless.